We need to remember UX design is what you do. It's not who you are. When we hold on to like, I am this work, while we put all of our passion and energy into it, if we see us as that, then we're always going to have a really hard time taking feedback because it's going to feel personal. This is Skilled by Design, a podcast for experienced designers and product managers that want to deliberately grow their skills and become better humans in the process. I'm your host, Tommy Bay, and today I'm talking with Lindsay Hamilton. Lindsay is the head of mindset conditioning at IMG Academy. She works with a team of 12 mindset coaches and helps them to work with a whole lot of, of kids, students, and lots of other people besides. She's got uh, degrees in psychology and sociology uh, and sports science. She's working on a doctorate and uh, she's one of my favorite people. Lindsay, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me, Tommy. I'm just delighted to have this conversation today. Lindsay and I go way back. We've had some great experiences together. We worked together for a while and we also played soccer together, which was a super fun time. You were always making sure that everybody was happy and engaged. And well, if there's anything I can do, it's give a few high fives. So if that's yeah. my contribution, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should start by explaining better what you do. Like, what does it mean when we say that you are a mental conditioning coach? Yeah. So essentially when we think about mental conditioning, it's the process of training mental skills so that you can perform at your best, no matter the circumstances. So what I love about that is there they really is skill building. A lot of times people will have the thought or the experience that you either have confidence or you don't, or you either focus well, or you don't. But the reality is, is there's a lot of skills that you can engage in and train those skills to build that up so that you can have the outcomes that you're hopefully looking to achieve. To put it in really basic terms, it's, it's helping your mind to work for you and not against you so that you can continue to you know, achieve what you're, what you're looking for, have the outcomes that you want, and make sure that you are being deliberate in that process and, and having a good experience throughout. I would love to have my mind working for me and not against me. <laughs> that seems like a good, a good thing to learn. So you mentioned skills, which of course is what this uh, podcast is all about. What kind of skills are we talking about? Yeah, so really what skills we use are going to be dependent on what we're trying to accomplish. So when we are looking to build certain characteristics, essentially, so if we want to develop confidence or if we want to be able to manage pressure situations or even sometimes just control our own hesitancy and navigate self-doubt, there's a variety of skills that we can build to achieve that. So some of those skills might be developing more effective self-talk. So the things that we say to ourselves that we know that we're, we're working on something and then something doesn't go well and all of a sudden our mind starts telling us that, that we can't figure it out or that like this isn't going to work and that hesitation or those limiting beliefs get in our way. So how do we create more productive talk to ourselves so that we can you know continue to move forward? It might be something like People have often heard of visualization or imagery where you are seeing yourself, seeing your outcome, seeing what you're trying to accomplish or create before it even happens. You're using those images in your mind and, and the way that we do that can effectively help us really program our body to perform those things. It could be anxiety management. 
right? And understanding how do we become more mindful of where we are? How do we stay in the present instead of worrying about what happened before or maybe what might not work out yet? How can we really leverage the present moment and keep our mind here so that we can do what we want to do? Those are, those are just some of the many skills but really, it, there's a whole there's a whole umbrella of mental performance. It's everything from being able to effectively take feedback to being able to re- refocus when you've made an error, and now how do we how do we get back on track, or how do we make sure we're not taking those errors with us into the, into the next thing that we're trying to the next play, the next the next moment, the next conversation, whatever it might be. So it's there's a lot of skills, and it's and it's pretty broad, but. Um, I, I do really appreciate that they are skills that can be made better with, with effort and practice. And I think that's an important part for people to be able to remember. Uh, yes, I think that's key. A lot of times we, uh, I, I, maybe I should talk for myself, but uh, I, I just don't even think about those things. Like you take for granted that things are the way they are. Sure. But yeah, when you break it down to, well, there's probably a skill here that I can develop. That's great. And you just mentioned like a lot of things that I think are relevant for most humans probably, but for designers, especially. I mean, I think, I think what's interesting about that, you know, to what you're saying is, is we are, we are our own designers of our life. Right. And so when, when the reason that we don't think about those as skills is because when you're having that negative self-talk or when you're not, when you're feeling a certain type of way about it, it's like, that feels like your real life. Like what you're thinking is you feel like it's a part of you. So it must be true. And so how do I navigate with this? But the reality is that if you look at like a design problem, right, it's really like, well, what is the problem? And can I redesign myself to do this in a way that's going to be more functional for what I'm trying to accomplish? And so, you know, it's, it's very normal for people to have these nerves, for people to have concerns and fears and doubts, but because that's such a real experience for them, they don't really see that they can step outside of that. And, and potentially make a different choice or potentially design their approach in a different way that will allow them to be maybe more of who they would want to be. Interesting. I, I feel like this is something that, that I'm doing a lot in my work. I'm guessing this is pretty common, uh, that we're always trying to get people to like take a step back and say, well, what, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And mm-hmm. to, yeah, to apply that to the sticky points in our own lives, that's really interesting to be able to step back and say, well, what, what is the problem right now? And, and mm-hmm. what am I trying to accomplish? I'm feeling stressed or I have anxiety or I'm not taking this feedback well to be able to step back and say, well, what's, what is the problem? And, and what is it that, I'm, that I need to solve? Yeah, and that, that in and of itself is a skill right? Like being able to one, have the awareness that you need to step back. And then two, in many cases, having the courage to do so. And then three, being able to have the skill that can maybe solve the problem or move us in a different direction to to troubleshoot the the challenges that we're facing. But the more that we're willing to to pause and, and, and allow ourselves to step back and ask ourselves those questions. I mean, that's really where all all mental performance ultimately has to start so that you can really begin to use the skills that can that can over time make the difference you're looking for. So when you're working with kids, what age group are you typically working with? I know you work with like all ages, but I do. Yeah. So here at IMG Academy, um, we're a, a sport boarding school, primarily for middle school and high school age. That's, that's the big chunk of age. So we're looking at 
13 to 17, 18. By, by chance, I also have a, a, a part of my role that does this work for corporate executives. And so then we're working with adult populations in a variety of different ways. But the bulk of our work is with youth ages 13 to 18, I'd say. Okay. So when you, when you start working with, with these younger kids, how do you help them develop that self-awareness? Like, where do you even start? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, it's it's interesting because if you think about where you would want to start developmentally and where you'd want to anchor, I'd say self-awareness is where we would want to begin everything, every conversation, because every every chance that we have to make a difference is going to be predicated on what we know about ourselves and, and where how we can build on that. If I'm being honest, though, you can't come into a group of 15-year-old kids and say, today we're going to talk about self-awareness, right? Because they don't relate to that yet. They don't even understand that experience yet. What they do understand is their sport experience. What they do understand is their own hesitation in, in situations of difficulty. They do understand hard times that they have had. So really where I come in is meeting them where they are and understanding what are their challenges or maybe what are their opportunities for development. I would say a lot of times mental conditioning gets pinned into when things aren't going well, we need to make them better. But the reality is, is you don't have to be bad to get better right? You can be doing really great. And yet there are still some things that we can refine and adjust to be able to continue to strive toward this improvement. So inevitably where I start is where they are and what are their needs and what are the things that they, what are their pinch points or what are their areas of potential and opportunity that we can hone in on. Once we get them on board in this conversation, now it's, it's going about it in a way that opens up their self-awareness that helps them to think about their own experiences and be able to to really navigate that more effectively. You know, oftentimes I say like, I, I don't expect any of these athletes, any of my performance to have all the answers. My hope is that I can help them ask better questions. And when they start asking themselves better questions, they're going to be able to find or invite the answers that they need to solve their own situations. You manage a team of, you have 12 coaches that work with you. Is that right? We do. We have, I have 13 mental conditioning coaches. It is our busy time of the year. So I just hired five more. So I have 18 wow. right now to help us deliver mental conditioning work to on average 1300 student athletes at a time. So. Wow. Keeps so, us busy. so do you do this with your people? Do you work on awareness with them? I, I'm thinking about myself as a manager and <laughs> when you're managing people who teach that, uh, I imagine that's yeah. interesting. It is. And I, I appreciate you asking because when I, when I stepped into this role that I am in right now, which is the head of mental conditioning here, I had to, in some ways also pull back on the number of athletes that I could deliver to and the number of the teams just because of bandwidth. Mm -hmm. um, but really I have come to to love my team as another team of mine. So in working with them, it's, very much the case in our working environment. And also I think we see this in athletes in general is like, you're going to get better by default, right? Like the more work you engage in, the more conversations you have, the more situations of collaboration, the more unique situations and circumstances that you're in, like you learn through that process. But what I have really tried to prioritize in the last year is getting better by design. How are we effectively getting better as practitioners in this space? How are we getting better as professionals in this space? Because the reality is, yes, I might be working with these athletes and their performances, but we as humans are performers in all that we do. I'm a performer when I show up to work. I care about the work that I'm putting in. I care about the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve. I'm a performer when I'm in a social situation, when I have to put myself in a situation to meet somebody new and navigate maybe some 
nerves that come with that, maybe some social awkwardness that could come with that. And, you know, we're even performers in our own living rooms, right? It's not just the locker room and the boardroom, but it's in our living rooms when we want to make sure that we are navigating our families the way that we want to be navigating them and having those conversations, which can also sometimes be hard. And now I'm on a team where I get to lead a team of people who help other people perform well. So it has been my initiative this year, actually, to create a development program for my very coaches so that they can continue to get better and navigate their own hurdles to accomplish what they want to be accomplishing as well. That's really cool. Good for you. (laughs) I'll be interested to hear what that program looks like when you get it figured out. Yes, I would be happy to share. I I can send you all the documents and we can go through it another time. For sure. So you're helping these kids become more aware and that that opens them up to have the the conversations and be available to be coached, which is a skill also uh, being coachable. Do you feel like that's something that you kind of have to help them develop? Without question. I think coachability is really at the foundation of building mental flexibility. What other, some people might more commonly refer to it as mental toughness. Being able to be coached is the thing that allows us to get better at what we're trying to do. Sometimes that coaching comes from ourselves. Sometimes that coaching comes from other people. Sometimes that coaching, that learning comes from our own mistakes. But if we can't take the information and our experiences, reflect on them and build from them, really, what are we doing, right? And so coachability is at the foundation of being able to to strive toward growth, to build a growth mindset. You know, we're, we're out here doing our best, right? Nobody's trying to suck. Let's be honest about it. Everybody is going out there giving their best effort and trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, put their best foot forward or navigate situations that allow them to do that. And then something happens and feedback comes in, right? or whether that's a mistake, whether that's somebody saying, this is an area for you to improve, or this didn't work out well. And now everything that we've just given of ourselves at the best level is being challenged. And it's oftentimes where we take that very personally, and it makes it difficult for us to move through that. And that in and of itself, navigating through that is a skill also, which is why coachability just becomes ever present and super important. So where do you start if you want to become more coachable? Like, what would your recommendation be? Uh, I'm thinking about designers and um, they spend a lot of time coming up with ideas that they then have to, to share. And that invites a lot of critique, potential criticism. And I think that especially for younger designers or, or designers that are new in that space, it can be hard for them to know what to do with that or how to handle it or like where for those people who have not yet developed that mental flexibility, like where do you start? That's a really great question. And I think there's a, a couple of places that I believe to be really foundational when it comes to navigating the feedback, the constructive commentary about our work. And I think oftentimes we feel like the work that we put forward is the final product. Which is interesting, particularly in the UX space, because like it really never is, right? Like even when you go and you put something out there, there's always an iterative process of like, oh, well, let's make this change. And now as people become more familiar and we learn about this, like, oh, this can be improved. But when we put ourselves forward in that way, we feel like we are or have to be the final product or whatever it is we're pushing forward. So if we could take that mindset of product creation and, and put that in ourselves. Like we are not our final product. And gosh, if I'm, you know, at the age that I am and think that I'm, I'm the, the version that I'm always going to be, I think I'm missing the boat. But when we go into it with that mindset to say, 
here's here's what I'm putting forward. Let's make it better together. Like every time I, I, I pitch myself, you're always going to try to do it at the highest level and like feel like this is my best work here, but to know that there's better work ahead and creating space for that. And I think then when you have that mindset of openness and acceptance of like, I have given everything to this and I know that there's still so much potential here, I welcome you to tell me. And the reality is, is the person who's giving you feedback doesn't have the right answer. How often is it the case that when somebody gives you feedback, it really actually sparks an idea for you and how you can make it even better based off that information. And so when we think about feedback, right, if we, if we know that it's a constantly iterative process, but if we can see feedback as collaborative and not this, you have the answer that I need to know, but it's how do we work together to get to what's going to serve what we're trying to accomplish, it just creates more space for that to happen. I think the other thing that we need to remember is UX design is what you do. It's not who you are. And I think that's really important when we have put our best foot forward into something that we're doing and that we are giving everything that we have to it. And when somebody gives us feedback of like, wow, this can be made better or this didn't hit the mark, like allowing that to be separate from who you are. It's not that you didn't hit the mark. It's not when your product failed that you're a failure. We need to make space to separate those things because when we hold on to like, I am this work, while we put all of our passion and energy and effort and skills into it, if we see us as that, then we're always going to have a really hard time taking feedback because it's going to feel personal. Um, but when we can acknowledge that it's separate from us, then we have so much more room to bring our best selves to the next version of it. And I think that those are probably the three areas that I would start. I also share that as a friendly reminder, if there are any managers who do provide feedback, to think about that and how you give your feedback, right? Are you addressing the situation or the product that needs to be, or are you talking to them like they didn't do it right? Those are two very different things. And how you give that feedback can open up the space for those people to receive it in a way that's going to allow them to move forward with it productively as well. Great reminder. You sparked a memory of of like a it was like a cartoon, I guess. And in the first frame, it's it's these two people arguing over something. And then in the next frame, it has them kind of standing together. And they're arguing over the problem together. Mm. And just like that, that simple shift of, of just like standing together and looking in the same direction rather than facing off, it changes the, the whole thing. Like it changes everything. I, I have to tell you, Tommy, we do, we actually do an exercise like that here with our, our athletes and our performers. And what we do is I, I get this rope and I stretch this, this rope all along and I say, find a partner and stand on one side of the rope and your partner's gonna stand on the other. And I just want you to face your partner. And the goal is for you to get your partner to come to your side of the rope. And your partner's goal is to get you to go to theirs, right? So, so whatever it takes, whatever you need to do, obviously you can't take the rope and lasso him across, you know, you can't touch the person. I just wanna make sure we set ground rules cause it can get pretty feisty over here. <laughs> but inevitably your goal is to get your partner to come to your side of the rope and their goal is to do the same. And inevitably what happens is we start seeing all kinds of things like, well, you should come to my side of the rope because the view's better over here. And, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you start pulling out cash, right? We're like, we're, we're seeing all the dollar bills come out. And, you know, when we, when we get in certain situations, it's like, oh, well, I pay your salary. So you should come over here, <laughs> you know? And inevitably what happens is we find ourselves in this stalemate and sometimes either people don't switch or one person will ultimately give in and go to that other side of the rope. The reality is the, the win comes 
when both switch sides. We both have goals to accomplish, but you get in a situation of face-to-face. And now, regardless of the fact that I called you partners this entire time, you get in a situation where you have a goal and you're looking at it from this side and they have a same goal, they're looking at it from the other, and now we're in conflict. But if we can just recognize hey, like we can both win here if we both even just try to see the other person's perspective. And now all of a sudden the whole, everything, all the options are open. So it's so natural to get into that space where you're fighting, but so powerful when you can be willing to come to the other side of the person's rope and say, let me see it from your view. And now, now, now what's possible from here? That's an awesome exercise. Yeah. The ability to see somebody else's perspective, to treat partners like partners and not enemies. Yeah. That's really great. Can we talk a little bit about confidence? Because I feel like I remember you talking about developing confidence and the difference between actions and and feelings of, of confidence. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So when we think about confidence, it's one of those things that people feel like they either have it or they don't. And that's so natural because we walk around this space and we see other people in our working environment and our life environment. And we look at them and we almost say like, wow, that person's really confident. They have this presence. They have this, this smile. They have this way that they can talk about their work or their life, what have you, the way that they take on challenges and they seem super confident. And then meanwhile, we're here with this internal experience of like, I'm not sure, you know, like I'm going to try this, but I'm not totally um, sure that this is where we're going with it. So for that reason, we tend to have this experience of like, you're the confident or you're not. The reality is, is if you were to think, if, if you were to wake up tomorrow, with all the confidence you could have ever imagined. Ask yourself, how would my life, my day, my work be different, right? So let's take, let's take you, Tommy, for example. If you were to wake up tomorrow with all the confidence, and let's only look at your work life, right? You use your experience work. If you were to wake up tomorrow with all the confidence you could have ever imagined, how would you do your work differently? How would your work be different? Yeah, my actual work, I don't know. I might be a little bit more bold. A good question. What does bold look like, Tommy? Like when you think bold, like how would you see that show up? Yeah, I don't know what how that would be I, different. That's I appreciate question. that you say bold. I think bold is a great place to start, right? Because when we think about that, we might feel less hesitancy in our decision making. We might be willing to try this other structure that we haven't yet because we're not so worried about whether or not it works out right? We might, we might be willing to try new things. We might be willing to have more deliberate conversations. We might be willing to provide our own feedback to say the engineers or the customer experience people or whoever it is we're talking with about like what does or doesn't work and how can it, right? So you saying bold is really important. If I were to flip that question on you and said, what, what if you woke up tomorrow with all the confidence you could have ever imagined and nothing in your life changed? We might feel like, Oh, disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because when we think about having confidence, we think that it's going to bring something to us, right? We feel like it's going to allow us to engage in the world in a different way, in a way that might be more true and authentic to ourselves. We might be able to contribute to our work in a, in a very meaningful way. Cause the reality is, is when we think about confidence, we don't want confidence because it's going to make us feel a certain way. We want confidence because it's going to change our life in some way. 
we want confidence because it's going to be meaning to our work. It's going to allow us to, to bring life to our purpose. So when you think about being more bold, you inevitably often can tie actions to that thing, right? Like having certain kinds of conversations, taking risks in a certain kind of way, being willing to try something new, being willing to take feedback in, in some way because you're confident enough in yourself to know this feedback is going to help you do your work differently or, or, or learn or grow in a new space. And that's what we want to think about. Oftentimes we think of confidence as a feeling, but feelings come and go. Sometimes we're, we're jamming on a project and we're like, yeah, this is the thing. And the next day you're like hitting a wall and you're like, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know how people are going to receive this. And it's inevitably 24 hours later. Sometimes that happens in the course of a day. So when we get stuck in those feelings, it's very hard to be deliberate about what we're trying to accomplish and how we go about doing that. But when we can take a step back and say, well, what are, what are the things I can do? What are the actions I can take that my confident self would be doing? Then we're leading with that. And the golden rule of confidence, while we get stuck in these feelings of, I'm not sure, the reality is, is that the actions of confidence come first and those feelings come later. And, you know, if I take this into a different context, actually, uh, it's Dr. Russ Harris who, who kind of shared this idea about the confidence of ac actions coming before feelings. And there's, you know, when we take a story of like Nelson Mandela, right? And we'll, t we'll just take this completely out of design. We'll take this completely out of sport and how real this conversation is. And you think about Nelson Mandela and all of the social justice work that he did and this life that he led. And he went to prison for 30 years. And while he was in prison, he still moved this social justice movement ahead during the apartheid, right? He was writing letters to people. He was speaking out against social justice and the reform that was necessary. And then he, of course, got out. He became the first black president of South Africa and is just an incredible, incredible soul that we have had the privilege to know of his life. And when they were writing his biography on him, they went and asked him, how is it possible that you were in jail for all of those years? And even in there, you still had the confidence to do this work. You still had the, the surety, the presence, the, the confidence to move this for mission forward. How, how did you have that? And while we might want him to say, well, I just knew it to be true. And we might want him to say, I was so sure of it that I couldn't doubt. The reality is when he was asked that question of how were you so confident? His answer is, I wasn't. But if I waited until I felt confidence, the important work would never have been done. And I think that's so meaningful that we can take into our own lives that if we wait until we feel a certain way, then the confidence that we want, the actions ultimately we want to take won't happen at the same cadence as if we say, what if I do the very thing that I would do if I was confident and see if those feelings show up? Because maybe they will right after that happens. Maybe it will take three days, three weeks, or three months before this actually turns out. But if I can lead with the confidence through the actions that I'm trying to drive, we would surprise ourselves about the confidence that we actually have inside of us when we drive with our actions first. Wow. That's great wisdom in that. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. And I think it applies into the user experience space right? Like when you think about all the actions that you take on a daily basis and all the ways that we can feel about it, which are all normal, 
right? Like we are human beings, <laughs> we have feelings. And sometimes those feelings show up unexpectedly. Sometimes they show up unfavorably. And sometimes they show up with in a way that gives us positive momentum. Um, but our more consistent, the more consistent our actions are in the way we approach how we design something, how we're thinking about, about what that experience is and what, what actions we would take to accomplish what we're trying to do. I think that the message is still super relevant. It is. I, I, I'm thinking about myself as a parent and how that's like, that is the reality of being a new parent is that you just have to pretend like you're confident about how things work until you <laughs> finally have done it enough times that you feel confident. Uh, sure. As a designer, same thing. I've talked to a lot of designers who feel, you know, the, the imposter syndrome, the you know, mm -hmm. I'm just pretending. And I think that that's common among humans, that we assume that everybody knows more than we do. And we're worried about being found out that we don't know as much as we are trying to pretend that we know. But the reality is yeah. that is the human condition and that nobody gets to a point of being confident until they've put themselves out there and, and tried and had the opportunity to, to do things before, you know, before being completely confident in those abilities. Absolutely. I mean, if you think of what most of our, um, most of us, how we've transitioned into even the work that we do, like at some point you were trying to design something that you didn't know if was possible, right? You didn't know if it, if it would work out. You didn't know if you were actually even doing it well or right, but it's that very engagement in, in acting on that, that gives us the skills that we need. When, when we're in my mental conditioning space, if with what you're doing, you're doing right all the time, you're not doing what you should be doing. How would you feel if I told you that you were going to win every soccer game this season by 10 goals? Everyone would feel so excited. But then when I say like, oh, but you're 14 and you're playing with a bunch of second graders, you don't feel so great about it, right? <laughs> we want, we need that challenge. We need that, that way that we can step in with action and find different ways to do it and know that that very process is what's building the confidence for us to be able to do that again next time and even better. So we, we generally don't have everything that we need to step into the space that we're in and and that's what I would hope for people, that they're constantly pushing into that space and just allowing those feelings of uncertainty to be there as they will, even though you can continue to take action and drive in a way that allows you to be confident and ultimately create even better product, right? And when, you, when you're willing to take those risks and challenges and not need to feel a certain way about it. Yeah. And that's not to say that we should be moving forward with like bravado all the time. Uh, I think that there's still space for humility in trying to take the actions of confidence before you feel them without question and and i think that's also one of the myths about confidence is that it like you can't be humble with that and i completely disagree you can absolutely feel certain and and engage in a way that allows you to understand that i'm taking this risk and i believe that something can come from it and still be humble in the process. People ask me, what's the difference between confidence and arrogance? Because people will hesitate to be confident because they're afraid of becoming arrogant. Mm. And those are not the same thing. So when we think about the difference, arrogance is when you believe in yourself, which is important, that's confidence, but you do it to the extent of where you no longer feel like you need to prepare, or you no longer feel like you need to collaborate or ask for support or you are doing it in a way where you're just so sure that what you're doing is going to turn out that you start turning away the very resources that allowed you to make these choices to begin with. When we are confident, we can be really sure 
but we prepare for what it is that we're doing because we know that we're not invincible. We just believe in what is in front of us. We can ask other people for help and we don't have to go and show everybody that like we are the end all be all to all the things because it's not about you being something to somebody else. It's about the product and service that you have the privilege to share, right? And like, you can be so sure that that's gonna turn out and confident in how it turns out while still asking other people for their opinion and not feeling like you are, again, your product, right? Arrogance is like, you get so stuck in like, I am this thing that I am putting forward that you're unwilling to separate yourself from really who you are and what you need and those other things. So um, I would encourage people to have that belief in themselves and what they're doing and not fear that they're gonna go into arrogance because really those are different behavior traits. That's not preparing, that's not asking for help. That's, that's demonstrating a side that's not really confident. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> Every now and then, hopefully. <laughs> All right, I can't believe we've burned through our time so fast. Can there be a part two? We're just warming up. We'll have to do this again for sure. To wrap us up, why don't you give us your best advice for starting out in mental conditioning today? For anybody who's listening, what's something that they can go and do today to start building those skills? Um, I'll give two. Can I give two? Please give two. The first thing I would say is take a breath and ask yourself, if I was going to be my most confident self, what would I do? And and come up with an action or a behavior that's tangible that you can implement and commit yourself to taking that action, regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of your uncertainty toward it. What we want to do is identify what is the action we can take and then actually bring that into life, right? If we, if we can't identify that action, then what are we really starting on? So I would say first, identify the action and set an intention this week to do that very thing. If you wanna share that with somebody so they can help hold you accountable, that's even more helpful. But certainly identifying what's the action that we can take and know that that's my most confident self showing up and let's get, let's get to him or let's get to her or them. The other thing that I would say that can help with this is whether or not you identify your action or you confirm what your intention is, Oftentimes we can put that into a word or a phrase that can be a reminder for us that can drive our action because it helps us focus in on what we're doing. One of the things that I personally do and have encouraged others to do is I take that word or phrase and I actually put it as my computer login. The thing that I'm personally working on is delegating. So a little known fact about Lindsay, she, her own development process is on delegating to other people so that I can be that my confident self in doing that. And in fact, my computer password is delegate and deliver and then some numbers at the end of it. So every time I sit down on my computer, I am reorienting to that intention, to that action that can help guide what it is I'm trying to do. And at the end of the day, that reminder helps me and I can look back and say, did I do that? If I don't have that at my computer login, inevitably every email comes through, I'm going to do it all myself. And that's not helpful or productive. <laughs> Nobody wants that. There's so many people with better ideas than I have. But that friendly reminder, and if it's not your computer password, put it up somewhere on a sticky note around your monitor, put it on your bathroom wall or window, put it somewhere where you will be able to see it and have that reminder because we all have a lot of things we're trying to keep track of and a friendly reminder never hurt. So I would say identify what your action is, put that into a word or a phrase and put that somewhere where you will see it or engage with it every day as a reminder that we know that we can get to our next best version of ourselves, even if we just start with this one, this one idea here. Love that. 
I'm going to do it. See it? Do it. I can't wait. Now y'all know what my computer password is, but there's other numbers on there. So we're not going to get hacked or anything. Yeah. Thank you. This has been amazing. It's so great to talk to you. Oh my gosh, Tommy, it's my pleasure. It's my privilege. You are you are bringing such important information to user experience designers or to your discipline. And I just have loved what you're working on here. And it's been nothing but a delight to see you and talk to you again and uh, share a little bit with your community. So thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Thank you. And thanks to you listening out there for joining us. Remember, you can share this episode with someone who would enjoy learning about mental flexibility. And if you have a minute, you can rate this podcast as well. Helps others to find us. Thanks again. And we will see you next time on Skilled by Design.